Tobias Carlyle is the founder and principal of Acquire's Funds. For regulatory reasons, he will not discuss any of the Acquire's Funds on this podcast. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Acquire's Funds or affiliates. For more information, visit acquiresfunds.com. Hey, it's Tobias here. If you want to learn a little bit about my firm or see my portfolio, head on over to acquirersfunds.com. We're doing it live. Here we go. Folks, take three, four, five. We're d- we've done it. We've gone live. We've bent space we're, we're and time. We're officially live? We're officially live. All I had the to, sound is working. I had to read can... this book. Structural Dynamics. It's about bending space and time. That's volume one. Here's volume two right here. That is a weighty book. Let me tell you, it starts... You read that on vacation? Yeah, what are you doing with that? Is that like a doorstop? That's that's my father-in-law book. How about instead of Structural Dynamics, we figure out how to make a podcast work? He starts with Isaac Newton's uh, Principia Mathematica and works up to modern-day aerospace, black holes, and things like that. It's everything you need with all of the proofs in between with a mathematician. Enjoy. It's so good to be live. What's happening? Dude, I could legit wring my shirt out. I'm so, so like, <laughs> sweaty right now. It's uh, between being angry about the sound and the air conditioning not working in this fucking office. I'm in Florida. It's the summer. I am so soaking wet. What? <laughs> anyway, financials are uh, ripping. Yeah, you're soaking wet for a different reason. Oh, jeez, <laughs> Lord. Now I, now I got to put the chat up. Oh, my God. This it's a it's an Brutal absolute disaster. Hey, it's uh it's Tuesday uh, at ten thirty a.m. Pacific, one thirty. No, it's not. It's like we're a little we're, we're, we're late, but yeah. normally this Good is marketing. when we'd be recording. Um, so you could tune if you want to hear it live, because I've got a few requests from folks who want to hear it live. If you want to come in and ask questions and so on, uh, that's how you do it. Just go to the YouTube channel. Acquirers podcast YouTube channel uh, or go to acquirersmultiple.com find the podcast tab it'll get you through uh, I can't see the comments at the moment so this is never go on vacation I can I can you, you got them are you looking at them yeah I'm up, I'm up on YouTube I can see them oh so uh, yeah. what's what's everybody's people are, people are communicating I'm communicating with people <laughs> it's exciting keeping up foreign relations yeah that's right um, a webcam looks like straight garbage, but whatever. It does? <laughs> that's, maybe that's just Florida version of you. Florida man, you Florida I, Bill. I moved down here and just don't look very good. That's see, possible. Like sweaty, sweaty shirt, sweat, sweated through shirt. That's, that's Florida oh, man, right? It's brutal. Yeah. Might have to take it off. I can't, well, you know, just let me know before you do because I have to change the rating on this. Um. <laughs> <laughs> to scary Indonesia's in the house what up Indonesia NC17 I just realized my shirt's on inside out anyway we have derailed <laughs> buttons out I, I don't uh, I, I don't have a topic this week so I'm just gonna what are you, what are you guys talking about oh Jesus this is dude I'm gonna talk uh, trade strategy like how to size into positions oh, that's a good that's, one. that's my shit that's good I've got a don't, I have a don't full little yeah, exactly. Don't breathe on anything; it'll break on us here. Uh, I've got, 
I've got some exercises for us in the veggie segment that, that might right. be some fun. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to think about my topic and I'm going to have it by the time it Jeez. gets to me last. So <laughs> who wants to go first? I'll start. Hey, we, should, um, we didn't do our intro Oh, yet, first though. of all, intro. Yeah. Uh, approximately 39 minutes late. Welcome to Value After Hours. Thanks for the sticking with us to the true fans, the people that are tuning in right now. All uh, six of you. The other four are lazy. Um, I'm, I'm Bill Brewster. This whatever we're calling this is uh, our show today with my co-host Toby Carlisle and Jake Taylor. We've already done our intros and this is officially the worst intro that we've had. So rock on. Hopefully the rest of the show is better. Uh, we had problems with, let's just, let's just break down. We had problems with Bill's audio. Then we had problems getting Skype to come through the Ecamm live, which is what I use. Shout out to you guys. You can fix your product or give me a, Give me a break on the $14 a year or whatever I pay for this thing. <laughs> I'm going to need to go change my shirt too because I'm so nervous and sweaty from doing that one. I almost, I almost threw a phone through the wall <laughs> thanks, to the, thanks to the sound. That was fun. Yeah, I almost went cliff assness and punched the computer. Ooh, yeah. So how was the break, guys? What, uh, anything fun you want to share? Yeah, I went to a little lake outside Yosemite, totally disconnected, read a book on stoicism and, and another one on human consciousness, uh, the, the modern one on human consciousness, which was, and behavior, behavioralism. It's kind of striking. I mean, I, I guess that there's a lot of schools to choose from. Stoicism is one of them, but it's the Stoics, you know, they got a lot right about the way that people really do behave uh, in MRIs and things like that. The second book, the Human Consciousness book, was not at all to do with uh, stoicism. It just, as I was reading them both, I just thought this is, it's uncanny how right the Stoics are about a lot of these things. And the the book that I read was the one that you recommended last week that had, um, it's got some references to other schools in it too. So it talks about the Cynics, it talks about the Epicureans, it talks about some Zen Buddhism, uh, some various other ones, that, the pleasure-seeking ones. And it's, uh, it was a good book. Thanks for that. Oh, good recommendation. Yeah. I just can't help but think, like, this is a value podcast, years into value underperforming. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go to Lake. I read some stuff about stoicism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Turns out value ripped while I was reading. Maybe I should go back. Well, I'm thinking about reasons, it. 100 reasons not to kill yourself. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would never do that. But I, 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 I love the movie Caligula, uh, which just got uh, John, uh, I forget his name, so John Gilgood, I think, plays Seneca. And uh, he does commit suicide at the end of that, but tears the trigger warning. But uh, Seneca was the only one who was uh, a slave. The others were, well, Marcus Aurelius, who was an emperor. And then uh, Diogenes. And uh, who's, the, who's the originator? Sino? Am I getting that wrong? Zeno, yeah. Zeno, Zeno, yeah. Hard Z. Sorry, folks. Hard totally de derailed it. No, this is good. A lot of value investors like stoicism. Well, I think you've got to be a little bit stoic to be a value investor because there's a lot. There's it's mostly underperformance. And if you yeah, can't you deal with underperformance, that, uh, that that chart that showed like the different years on trailing ten year, and like how rough the 2012 through 2019 little bars stacked up. The thing is, it only Market went back chart. to 37. 
And I think if you, if you look at that Michael uh, Mikhail Samanov's uh, 200 years of value, like that contextualizes it for you. There have been quite a few big, big yeah. drawdowns. So, a lot of recency bias on that 1937. Yeah, it doesn't go back far enough. It's only 80 something years, right? 77 years. I'm so happy to be back. I can't believe it. I'm so happy that it's all working. I'm so happy to be back. It's good to see you, boys. It's good to see everybody, too. This is, uh, this is awesome. And Billy, nice how about you? you? Gents as well. What, me? You, What's going yeah, on? You, me? Exec- you executed a move. Yeah. I, I drove uh, last week down to Florida to COVID country. Um, Got to tell you, things aren't that bad here where I am. Uh, they're no worse than where I left. Uh, it's a little hotter than where I left, but come October, I think I'm going to be happy with the decision. Uh, haven't really had the chance to crack the Berkshire 10Q yet because I was doing a lot uh, with the family, but was fairly impressed. To see an asset-heavy business not really have any cash flow problem, like generate as much cash flow for the first six months of this year as they did last year, that's freaking impressive. Uh, some of you out there are fear-mongering me about Buffett selling wells. I don't care. <laughs> How about the $10 billion precision write-down? I thought that was interesting. Dude, I mean, they I got mean, a lot what, of... What, 10,000 people, too? Out of 30,000? They got a lot of... Um, a lot of OEM stuff that they sell into, the entire supply chain's busted up. On the drive yeah. down, I listened to like Boeing, Spirit, Hexel, uh, United. What else? I went down airline, down memory lane. It was so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I sort of pivoted. I, I had sent out a tweet. I was uh, maybe doing a little after hours activity, think, looking at the sky, thinking about airlines uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was, I was worried about them making it through this. I'm less concerned about that now. I still don't. So they're talking about taking, like, let's assume that there's no government uh, stimulus going forward. They're talking about losing 20% of their capacity. That's like taking Southwest out of the market. Oh, don't, don't say that. No, I'm not saying that Southwest is going to go yeah. away. But I'm just saying if, if your whole thesis is like they have the gates locked up and all that stuff, like I don't know how full I, – I, I was never like that deep in those weeds of how they have it locked up and what the contracts require and, you know, God forbid they stop flying. Do they keep their slots? Like that, that did not permeate my underwriting. So I just don't know enough about that. Anybody out there that does, please let me know. Here's the thing. The uh, TSA numbers are kind of back to back to peak since the, you know, they're like trending towards a peak. They're at a peak since the crisis. Like not, we're not back to normal. We're well away from normal, but we're well up from the worst of it. All the way up to total dog shit. Yeah, we're, we're only down like 70 or 80% now. Yeah, I didn't mean to trigger people on the Twitter machine yesterday, but like that's like um, booking holdings. They said that I, I forget exactly how they phrased it, but they basically said like domestic bookings are down. Like I think they said thirty five percent. I I could be totally wrong. Read the call if you want. But I was just thinking, you know, when used cars are like, oh, it's or, or car salesmen are like, it's the best car between twenty thousand and twenty three thousand that has you know two doors or whatever. It's like okay. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're, our definitions are pretty narrow right now. Well, you know, green shits. That's what we're looking for. I guess, but think about like what they're saying, right? They're saying in Europe, domestic bookings are within like 35%. If you're in Europe 
and times are good. If you're in if you're in the UK, you go to France. If you're in France, you go to Spain. Like nobody stays in their country in Europe. The train system is so freaking good that like that's such a bullshit comp number. Like what? Are, yes, I agree that people are going out of their house. We can have that conversation. Outside of that, I don't think it means much. Well, I mean, the the underlying economy is pretty dinged up. We're talking about like, I think we it was like down nine percent in Q two. I think am I getting that right? And to put that in context, 2008-2009 was down 4%. So this is a big hit to the, uh, to the real economy. I find it very... I just find it hard to see how kind of... I, I appreciate that the stocks are up and everything looks okay because there's been a lot of stimulus. But I still think at some stage, don't you look at the valuation and say where the valuations have to reflect what's happened underneath. And I think probably to some extent, the real economy, you know, the... the planes trains automobiles steel all of that sort of stuff does reflect that and the stuff that has benefited has been all of the stuff that skype <laughs> microsoft <laughs> vitaly uh had a good i'm pretty sure it was two days ago he wrote a piece and and he had made a similar comment where he was like you know it it appears as though the bytes have separated from the atoms when you think about like how valuation is and the problem that he articulated that I, I tend to agree with just viscerally, but I mean, maybe it's wrong, is like the bytes are funded by the atoms, right? You can't have Microsoft exist if Ford is getting crushed or forget about Ford, but like the aggregate of all the hospitality companies. I, I'm pretty sure that was part of Alterix's, uh what made them fall short. Like you need the atoms to be spending on the IT in order to fuel the bites, but so far true? the valuations haven't caught up. Is that true? I think that, so. Like well, that, I don't know. You've got all what of a sudden. You've got do this, I know? Well, I'm just a dude on a podcast. Well, we're just going to argue about it. But don't, don't you have? <laughs> don't, don't you have? You know. So you got you, you've got your business set up. How you've got it set up, and all of a sudden you've got to work from home. So now you've got. Well, now we've got to go and get whatever infrastructure we need to work from home. So that's funding that you've got spending. You've got to get. You might have to truncate that from somewhere else, or it comes out of profit, or something like that. But that is new spending directed towards those guys. It does make sense to me that they get a run out of this. Uh, but I think that the problem that everybody's now confronting is that the valuations are very, very stretched, yes. and uh, probably probably the business is ultimately tied to the underlying economy. It's could go faster than the economy, but probably does follow it in some sense. Uh, I agree with what you just said. I think it was very articulate and smart. And it <laughs> reminded me of a letter that I was reading today uh, earlier. Um, and it said, an odd question popped in. This is uh, 2011. Dear uh, an Abby. Odd... What? I can't quote the person Dear because he doesn't, he doesn't like to be quoted. But it said, uh, basically what they were saying is uh, it takes a while to um, change habit. And, and what this has done is forced. It, the person was questioning why online retail hasn't grown faster. And his point was like, it really should be growing faster. But at the end of the day, like the way that people's lives are, it just isn't right. So I do think that there's a lot of merit in like what you see the move in Microsoft, which something that we had, I think you said two podcasts ago that you corrected me on Toby, which was really smart to pick it up in the time. 
I said, like, what, you don't think up 60% is a little ridiculous? And you were like, well, it only matters if it's disconnected from the business results, right? And that was, I mean, that was completely correct. And it was a stupid comment on my part. But I do think that this has forced a habit shift that has pulled forward a lot of cash flow that probably would have come eventually. But it makes sense, some of that. But, yeah, I still think you need the atoms in the economy. Well, I mean, it's a, you can answer that question yourself by looking around it, like how much of the things that you buy, your the services, the goods that satisfy your needs come from physical versus digital and how much of the shift has happened in physical versus digital for you. And then try to extrapolate out to the rest of humanity. When does Netflix get some some new content? Well, I don't know, but they got a lot in the backlog. What, like, do they need to shoot it? Do they need Is to run it? Good? It's a lot of it's been filmed. Is any of it watchable? I'm, some of it. I mean, dude, I'll tell you what. You talk about value investments. Uh, Tiger King is like the value investment of 2020. That was they crushed it on that. Tiger King is the uh, Rick uh, of um, R I C K of uh, of Netflix content. I couldn't. Yeah. I couldn't watch it. I looked at Rick earlier in the year and like I'm not pitching I, Rick. Yeah, what? I'm not pitching it. No, no, I, I, I'm just saying I looked at it and I know it's had a good day and I'm happy for the people that bought it. I just can't get over like I don't know the last time I was in a strip club. It's been a while. All I saw was sorrow. I was like, I can't do this anymore. Was that? Uh, was I that used her to name? like him in my younger years. Sorrow is an unusual anecdotal. name. You know what I think it is? I think now that I have kids, it's like that's someone's daughter. Yeah. I have a daughter. It just changed everything for me. Uh, And again, they're all just putting themselves through college. So what do I know? A lot of doctors in training. (laughs) Do you guys understand anything about the uh, curve control? So I saw this tweet yesterday or maybe (laughs) Friday. Are we still talking about Rick's? (laughs) I got this. Yeah, it does sound like that's that's, uh, unintended. But brilliant. I'll take it. Uh, do you guys understand this curve control thing? Like, is that is that like a twist or something like that? QE twist or? I have no idea. Nobody knows anything. Yeah. So there was, I did see I this mean, yesterday. You, you know? It sounds like it's, uh, maybe a little bit, but it sounds like it's um, really trying to squash the front end of the yield curve, like the closest part. I don't understand why they think that's a good idea. I don't. It doesn't quite make sense to. I mean, I don't understand us monkeying with. Yeah, there you the go. That's right. Money <laughs> to begin with. So. I I don't know. I I only saw a tweet. I saw the Lynn Alden tweet, where she said that the last time that they tried this curve control was the '40s, and that was very good for value. Sometimes I think some of these things are just coincidental. Um, I don't really understand what it means. But didn't I thought we had a QE twist, which was the point of that was to mess with the curve a little bit. The Fed loves know. to take us up the risk curve. All I know is this feels a lot like two months ago when aerospace and financials ripped just long enough for people to think that they were going to rip and then they shattered people's hopes. And I feel like it may happen. Well, again. that's value. Get, get ready. Get used to paying. Yeah. yeah. So on that note, uh, you know, my big Wells thesis that has been super fun and people are telling me that that Buffett's selling, which that's great. Um, The question that it has caused me to think about is, you know, like 
the guys that I studied historically, right, have been mostly Buffett. Um, and I've started to study some other guys. I mean, you know, and Munger, but they're so good at this game that like when they see value, their their estimate is so precise that they can bet huge out of the gate. And what I'm sort of wondering is in a in a situation like Wells where I think that there's a business risk component to it and I really see why I think that the, that it's going to turn and I really believe that the story has changed uh, even though I was an idiot before and completely missed what was going on on the inside I was certainly not the only one on that um, but like you know is it something that uh, because I think it's cheap I bet big or like I I know that if they're doing what they're going to do, the asset cap is going to be lifted. I believe if the asset cap gets lifted, the stock will probably go up, you know, I don't know, 15, 20% over time, whatever. But the business risk side of the, of the equation has really been taken out of the thesis, right? So does it make sense to bet? Uh, uh, we've lost Bill. Smaller. There he's back. Is, is it? Uh, wait, are we there? No, you're back. You're back. You oh, just froze up. Oi vey. Anyway, does it make sense to wait a little bit? You know, and then and then once the once sort of the the business risk is de-risked, you can pay a little bit higher price. But um, you know, your your sort of your risk reward may not be changed very much. Uh, and it's sort of a different way to think. It's a little bit Druckenmiller where it would be like take a smaller position and start to press once the fundamentals go in your, in your favor. Um, you know, it's just sort of an odd way for me to think, but I, I see the merit in it. Uh, normally I'm so, I'm so constantly thinking that price is your margin of safety, but in this case, it's almost like improving business quality would be your margin of safety. Yeah. We talked about this, you and I, Bill, about, uh, using poker as an interesting analogy for that, where, you know, you ha you have your whole cards, and you know what they are, and you know they ha how they match what's currently on the board. But then, you know, maybe sometimes it's better to push all your chips in after you've seen that next card that comes up. And maybe, you know, you could still lose, but maybe have a better handle on what the probabilities are of winning versus losing. And, you know, like, balancing that against, uh, you know, Buffett talking about how, you know, if you wait until springtime to hear the Robins, like... You know, all the good deals are gone, basically. But, you know, there's there's some balance to that as well, where more information might be particularly helpful for you. So it's not entirely clear what's the best course of action. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, you know, certainly on something like Wells, I think that uh, people would benefit a lot from from waiting till springtime. I mean, it is down a lot since some really smart people have liked it. I feel like I ask this question every time we discuss Wells, but like how how bad for banks and insurers are low interest rates and a flat curve? Uh, in perpetuity, probably not great. I mean, that's I think that's why people favor JP Morgan and uh, Bank of America because they've got a little bit better investment banking arm. Uh, certainly Goldman, like the, you know, the dream merger on some, you know, value nerds mind is Goldman and Wells. That'll never get done because regulators hate both of them uh maybe it would I, don't, I actually don't think it would be bad for the market but um like competitively i mean uh but yeah i don't know i mean look it's it's a it's a price times volume game right so that's why i tend to 
prefer the bigger banks because I I don't see how the interest compression doesn't hurt the smaller guy more um, just as a function of their scale. I mean, if you but, look at European banks, they're smashed to smithereens. I don't know about Japanese banks, but I assume the same thing. Bad. Yeah. To the extent- McKinsey wrote about this a while ago, and they pointed out some of the differences. Uh, What's the difference? Between- what are the differences? Uh, it, well, at the end of the day, like 20% of the banks make up, you know, it's it's like a 20-80 rule, uh, almost all the profits. Um, okay. And I think that some of it is demographics in Japan. I think some of it is culture in Europe. I think some of it, you're right on the rates. Um, so, I, you know, I mean, I think that's, that is the really hard thing to figure what I would say on somebody like Wells uh, is, you know, if rates go down, they benefit a lot from mortgage refinancing. Then they have to take down their mortgage servicing rights because they have those. It's like it's very hard to figure what actually ends up happening when rates come down because there's a lot of parts of the business that are impacted in a way that may not be completely intuitive. That said, Buffett might have sold the whole thing. So, uh, you know, do you think so? I don't know. It's the rumor. I mean, I have no idea. He that would sold... be pretty surprising to me. Dude, is you see in the 10Q what his cost basis on banks is right now? I mean, he took it down a lot. Banks, financials, and insurance came in. Let me see. I'll see if I can find it. But it, it was a lot. Not substantial. And Wells is... Okay, so... On December 31st, his bank's insurance and finance cost basis was $40.4 billion. On June 30th, it was $31.16 billion, and Wells was a $7 billion cost basis. So it's possible. Guess we'll I don't know what out. else he would have sold. Yeah. What about the fact that uh, Precision Cast Parts has, has knocked off a third of their workforce, which was 10,000 people? What are you gonna do? You can't keep them hired. But that's a sh- that's a shockingly huge number. I mean, all of these, all, like I've been watching the Silicon Valley firings. So like every time they knock somebody off, it's like three thousand people got to go. Like that adds up over time. That's a lot of white collar that are getting hit. Yeah, I think this is part of the uh, policy argument for supporting some of the airlines. I mean, I you know I I get why it's offensive, and I don't know whether or not I would argue for it now. Certainly in March I did. Now it's much harder for me to. But, you know, I mean, you take 30% of the seats out of the air and then you look at the the backlog at Boeing and then you look at how that's going through Spirit Aerosystems and you sort of like, you know, um, I, I don't know. It could It could have real problems for a long, long time. And then you're not going to be able to catch up right if if demand comes back this is not a supply chain you can just flick on like it takes time and they're not just going to like over hire again and reinvest in equipment like that's not going to happen so this stuff is like permanently gone which to me means really tight pricing for a while on the back end of this it's like a huge capital cycle theory doesn't sound like a v recovery not in the jobs market yeah. Maybe in equities, though. <laughs> We're well beyond that. We're like somebody said it was the uh, the uh, divided. I don't know. I don't know what you call it. It's the tick has gone bigger. Anyway, I think we're almost back to all time highs, aren't we? Today, 
in the in the yeah, S&P maybe. 500. Yeah, we're, we're really close. close. With but think, I mean, think about Spirit, which I don't own. Uh, Spirit Aerosystems. You've got I forget exactly what their backlog is. I'm pretty sure they have roughly 100 planes on premises. Boeing 737s. I don't know. I mean, I think that they built that facility to produce somewhere between 65 and 80 planes uh, a month, maybe. Is that too high? I think that's right. Um, Anyway, I don't know. Listen to the spirit call about the numbers of how, like, Boeing's got to chew through the inventory that is sitting on Spirit's lot today, and then Spirit's got to start producing for them. And they're going to try to ramp slower, right? So they're probably going to be at 50% capacity while Boeing starts to ramp up their production so that they can chew through some of the inventory. But like, you can't just, I don't know, you can't flick that on. And now you're probably two years out. They've laid off a bunch of engineers. Do those skills atrophy? Do they stay like, is it completely relevant? Can they just come right back? Are those people going to be willing to have them come right back? Like that's a, it's a lot of trauma to the supply chain. It almost sounds like you would say that, having low rates for 10 years made us pull a bunch of demand forward and we built a bunch of shit we didn't really need yet. Mm, I don't know. I don't know. I agree with where you're, what you're saying. I don't know if, if I agree in this particular scenario, but yes. Okay. <laughs> Tell that to all the planes parked out in the desert. <laughs> yeah, but some of that's a 737 issue, right? Like, like Boeing totally screwed that up. That wasn't an interest rate thing. That was like bad managerial. And All then, right, like, just, we stopped flying. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, you know, yeah. you're going to blame this on low interest rates. Let's, you know, have the discussion. You want to hear a good story about uh, planes in the desert? So, you know, there's that, that uh, it's in Nevada, right? That very famous plane boneyard in the, there's a U.S. Is, that, where they store all the planes. I thought it was in Arizona. Is it Arizona? That, that, that would make more sense. I mean, something like that. I don't know. I'm just guessing that it's out there somewhere. But something it, you would fly over. <laughs> guy I went to high school with set up a plane like he worked out that the the same conditions existed in this uh area in australia and so he set up a plane boneyard in out in the middle of nowhere in australia because you don't need to be close to anybody you can fly there and uh set it up and he had four or five planes and then coronavirus hit and he's got a full he's got a full lot that's a great little entrepreneur story so someone is doing well out of coronavirus there are a few guys out there little entrepreneurs doing it i like that a very anti-fragile bet he's got going on yeah, he, he he had an empty yard for a while. He's he's been doing it for a few years, but uh, but he's hit the jackpot now. Good for him. So does that reinforce like the right behavior, or did he get lucky, and is he going to attribute it to skill? I think no. Well, he could have just ground that business up over time. Like he could yeah, have just fair. worked it because there's you know Asian carriers, Australian carriers, anything that's in that southern hemisphere, closer to that part of the world, wants that arid, humid, at uh, non-humid climate doesn't want to fly all the way to arizona to park their plane in a full boneyard so they can stick it in this one in the southern hemisphere so i forget the name of it i'd give him a plug if i could remember it not that it's relevant to anybody here anybody looking for a place to park your plane shoot me a note and i'll i'll hook you up Mate's so let, me, let me just it's mars let me circle back before. here because <laughs> i'm very interested in your takes because you guys are the ogs of this i'm like a, a young buck in the game um Jeez, would you a... be comfortable? <laughs> would you be comfortable betting more on a good business that's priced maybe a little bit ahead of where it is, or like you know a Wells type situation where you think it's priced 
uh, I, I guess, how do you think about sizing something? Uh, like, does size matter, right? If it's tiny, will you bet smaller? Uh, I mean, size always matters, but it's mostly how you use it uh, or how management does. <laughs> the asset base, of course. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, how do, how do you guys think through sizing? I guess your fun, Toby, not that we can talk about it, but if we could say a hypothetical fun that you may create. Strategy, strategy. Yeah, closer to equal weighted strategy would be what you would favor. Well, in a let's talk in a theoretical discretionary sense. Correct. You know that you don't want to lose money in big positions. That's the that's the first rule, and so you just want to look at the downside first, and then I guess you just work your way up from there. Like if you if the downside downside is close to zero, and there's pretty solid upside, then that's a bigger position. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I prefer those kind of positions where there's a little bit of hair on it and it's undervalued to one that's going to grow into its valuation. I always feel uncomfortable doing that, which is why, you know, it's been a tough fifty years for me. Not quite <laughs> oh, fifteen. We've diagnosed the problem. <laughs> I got, I got to learn to pay up, pay up for quality. Yeah. Do you want to do your topic, Jake? Where, where? Uh... Yeah, we've meandered enough for. I, I'm going to All include right, so my topic in the first fifty. I feel like 15. this is a strong one back. <laughs> Just yeah. complete disarray. Yeah. People are coming right. at my camera, I see. I well, don't like it either. Just say it's a filter. Yeah. It's a bad filter. Golden hour filter. So, you know, guy, if you read the news at all, you you see this this concept of a trillion thrown around all all over the place. And I, I kind of find it funny because it's like, I don't think we have a very good intuitive grasp of what a trillion looks like. So I thought maybe it'd be fun to sort of walk through that a little bit and see if we can wrap our, our heads around it a little bit more. So, you know, the first thing is, you know, it's 2008 and the Fed's balance sheet is under a trillion. Like it's at 800 billion. And, you know, not even by, trying. Not even trying. And by 2019, we're at four trillion. And now we're at six trillion, maybe seven. It's going up, you know. And right now we have uh, the June deficit alone for the U.S. government was eight hundred sixty-four billion, which is almost a trillion. So one month, we we've almost put a trillion dollars on. Well, let's let's try to wrap our mind around what does a trillion dollars really mean. Um, so, you know, you guys. You understand what like one millimeter looks like. You know, it's very, very small. Uh, a million millimeters is one kilometer, which is like basically like going down your street. Um, a billion millimeters is a hundred, a thousand kilometers, which is about 600-ish miles. And then a trillion millimeters is, is a million kilometers, which is 26 t times around the earth. Like that's how big the scaling changes um, when you go from even billions to trillions. Let's do another one. A million seconds is goes takes us back to like July, basically, like it's 12 days ago. A billion seconds takes us back to 1988, so it's 32 years ago. And a trillion seconds takes us all the way back to the upper Paleolithic, which is like <laughs> 32,000 years ago. All right. So a trillion is a lot. Like it, it's a lot, and we have no real concept of what it means. Um, let me ask you guys a question. When we talk about you know trillions of dollars, what 
What's your definition of capital? What does capital mean to you? I mean, I'd say it's it's the uh, the equipment or resources that money provides. Yeah, I'd just say it's the equipment or resources. That's that's capital. It's it's uh, productive uh, productive assets. Okay, so I I've always found it a little perplexing that we have we can describe so many different things with the word capital. Um, and it reminds me of like Inuits, I guess, have like 50 different words for snow to describe their different, you know, conditions of how wet it is or dry. And we have one word that is supposed to, to carry all of this freight. Um, so I, I kind of developed my own little, little lexicon to help my, help me sort out, you know, what does capital mean? And I've, I've added some, some different, uh, adjectives to it to help me sort of describe it. So the first thing in my mind is, is this idea of hard capital. And with that, I would say that's like all of the, the atoms, you know, whether it's land buildings, equipment, raw materials, uh, you could even count energy, um, food, housing, cars, computers, all the physical stuff in the world that we use to satisfy all of our wants and needs. I would, uh, with that, I would also have what, what we call like soft capital. And, and I actually tried to borrow a little bit from like computer where it's like hardware and software. Um, use the same sort of terminology to describe a technology. Uh, but so soft capital is all the knowledge and facts and IP, the relationships, the patents, code, mathematics, anything digital, uh, languages, trust, all of these things that are non, non-physical uh, things that we can't see that help us achieve all of our goals. And then the third thing I have is actually like financial capital. And that is an abstraction that is a, it's really a claim to hard and soft capital. Like it's, it's some ex- abstraction that we all agree upon represents something that helps us achieve wants or needs. So that's like, you know, stocks, bonds, options, derivatives, gold, crypto, um, all of the things I almost think about it like it's a like a baseball card. Like you look at a baseball card and it tells you all the stats about a player, you know, what they've done during the game, but it doesn't it's not actually the guy playing baseball and, and hitting a ball. Um so with all of that laid out Well that guy's labor, right? <laughs> yeah, that guy's labor. So maybe capital is everything um in the universe that isn't human effort. I don't know. It's uh it's kind of a weird yeah. But again, like, why do we only have one word to describe all those different things that I just named? Um, so I tried to come up with an analogy to help us understand, like, if we just dump a trillion dollars into the system, like, what what does that do? Like, what does that mean to what we just described? And the first thing I got to thinking was, like, uh, in the body, there are these things that are, like, there's sodium potassium pumps. And what those do is... Like your body will move salts around basically to uh, keep the, it helps maintain osmotic equilibrium, which just means like water is the right, you know, in the right concentration inside of your cells. And so your body actually doesn't really pump water. What it does is it pumps salt and then the gradient, the salt attracts the water to where it needs to, where the body needs to go to keep equilibrium. So I got to, you know, that analogy is probably a little too, too hard to, 
to work out. So let's throw that in the garbage bin. I have a better one, I think. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. <laughs> Hang on. First of all, you just told me, if I heard you correctly, that my body pumps salt and the salt attracts the water. Is that accurate? Roughly, yeah. I'm calling this fake news just because I'm ignorant. Uh, two. Wait. <laughs> You're using then, a lot of and big then words. You, and then you want to just like be like, oh, that's a throwaway analogy? That should be – that's a good one. I feel like yeah. that's shocking. I have a better one, I think. Okay. Let's... You blew my mind with the first. Well, I'm trying to describe uh, – Something that's acting on something else to then like make it change. So imagine that you have like a, a giant table that's like plexiglass and we have all of these metal filings, like little shavings thrown onto the table. And now imagine that you have magnets underneath the table that you can move around. I think you guys have ever seen this before at like, exploratoriums and museums for kids they'll have these tables that are magnetic with a bunch of filings on it and like you can move the filings around and you know you can create all these different little shapes and stuff based on what you do with the magnets well in this analogy i view all of the capital in the world whether it's soft or hard as the as the filings that are on top of the table and the money underneath that we're just created a trillion dollars worth of new magnets, basically, that are going and pulling around all of the resources uh, under the table that like construct really the world around us, right? Like, so the government gives a trillion dollars to some th project that's quote unquote shovel ready, uh, you know, that, that turns into something physical in the world. Um, what's interesting about it is asking yourself the question, well, okay, who gets the new magnets first, right? Because they're going to oh, be yeah. the ones that are the strongest and the, able to move the most filings before more magnets come on. Uh, well, which, this is the old Ron Paul argument, right? Which, like, what he said made so much sense to me, right? Like, the first people to touch the trillions of dollars are the ones that get the richest. And as it trickles down through the system, the last person to touch it just gets fucked because that's how inflation starts. Right. And That's then right. like their That's spending right. power is just like so much lower than the first people's. So and this was described a long, long time ago by an economist named Richard Cantillion. And so they're, they're called Cantillion effects. It's like who gets the money first matters. And he described it as a as a stream bed, you know, a river going through a stream bed. It doesn't double the speed of the river when you double the volume of water. It, it, it will show up in different places faster than other places, depending on the structure. So uh, I think I, I guess one of the questions like we're trying to figure out, is there going to be inflation or deflation? Uh, and that's a really hard question to answer because, OK, we know that we've added a lot of new magnets. Right. And they're they're pulling things around as we speak. And, you know, whoever gets it first, all the all the little piggies at the trough uh, are eating eating it up first before it gets down to You want to be a bank CEO, uh, that's the place to be. Yeah, how, I mean, becoming a billionaire without actually starting a business, that's... Two times. That, something's a little off with that. But, um, but so, you know, think about... One of the questions to answer is, how many shavings are we going to have? Because that's going to matter as well in this whole equation. And, you, you know, I read this interesting book uh, over the break... That it's called the the price of tomorrow, and it's uh, Jeff Booth is the author, and he's talking about exponential technologies and how 
we are we're on the cusp of an exponential change. Uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with Moore's law and solar prices falling, a million different little things that uh, will turn into a, a ton of material wealth for us. And it's hugely deflationary because like even government printing won't be able to stem that tide. And well, what that's really saying is like, we're going to be dumping tons of filings, metal shavings on top of this table, and we're all going to be wealthy. And so it does, the magnets won't even be able to overcome that. I don't know how true that all is. I find it to be an interesting thought experiment. I'm curious what you guys think about that. Uh, or is it going to be the magnets that are going to drive, like we're going to have inflation and uh, the prices of all the things for the, you know, like we're going to really move the filings around a lot with all the new magnets that we've created. It makes me a little bit nervous that we run the experiment at the same time as we're sort of trying to measure the effects of the experiment. You know, we... Uh, Nothing that the economists seem to think will happen once they do these things seems to happen. Like, where's the inflation? Stock market went up, so maybe that's asset inflation. Hasn't come through the CPI yet, but then there's a lot of hedonic adjustment nonsense that goes on in the CPI figures, and they've got an incentive to keep that flattened down. I think that you know any, any theories that I might have had about how all of this stuff works kind of got blown up in 2008, 2009. I really don't know. It seems that you can just print an endless supply of money and stimulate fiscally as well, and it has no impact. So why the MMT is wrong? I mean, why, why don't we just all stop paying tax and start printing money and buying bonds with it? Like, it seems to work. I mean, as a matter of logic, that, that makes no sense at all, but as a matter of practice, it seems to be working. And yet, here we are. Here we are. Really? Yeah, I mean, I was, I, <clears throat> I don't know, like, I was talking to uh, my buddy Francisco about this, and we were talking about, like, I asked him, you know, would you want to own gold here versus equities? And we were just, like, discussing it. And he's like, well, I'd rather own equity because if you own gold, uh, it is true that you would, um, potentially increase your, I, I don't want to like put words in his mouth. So I'm just trying to think about how he would frame it. Uh, you could potentially, uh, increase your ability to purchase more fiat currency, but owning equities over time accomplishes the same goal. And we're all purchasing stuff in fiat anyway. So if we're all debasing our fiat, the same amount, uh, I'm not sure that your relative purchasing power really, um, like matters, uh, as far as like which fiat you choose, like, you know, as long as you're choosing the right one. Um, the only other thought that I have is, uh, the phantom on the Twitter machine, which is a great account that everybody should follow. I don't know what it is. It's phantom with a couple numbers after, but like that person's smart. Um, they, they were talking to me about, um, like they almost think that this $600 check is the way to back into a, um, UBI. Yeah. But not even like a minimum wage almost because it's hard to attract talent to now come to your company without paying them more. So it's almost like a, you know, you're almost accomplishing a minimum wage goal via a different way. Um, and I just don't like fundamentally, I can't understand how eventually this doesn't turn into inflation. That said, 
Uh, I did think COVID was massively deflationary, and I do think that we just sort of printed into a hole. And I, my core sort of thought of why the inflation isn't picking up is like the wealthy are so wealthy that if they're getting more money, like the velocity isn't going anywhere, right? Because it's just accumulating in their bank account. And once you once you are that wealthy, like I mean, I get you could buy a bigger boat or whatever, but your incremental spend really isn't. Yeah, that marginal large. propensity to consume. You could buy yeah, a trailer like what, too. What? You could buy a trailer too. <laughs> Jake's, bought, a trailer? Jake's bought a trailer. That's that's yeah, that's the only point I'm making. No, well, that, so that I mean, I do think that like one of the things that's very different about this round of stimulus that was not so in 08 is this is actually money going to people that are spending it. So it's possible that velocity actually does pick up. It this hasn't time, yet though. And it, no, it's but crushed. Got, it's the lowest it's, it's ever because they didn't pay their rent. Or, I know, but well, if you look yeah. at the data, no, what it is is the wealthy are too scared of the virus right now to go out and spend. So you've seen the savings rate like go up through the roof. But like a lot of people are spending the stimulus checks, uh, and I don't know what that's going to look like when you know the people that are saving right now come out to spend. I, I really don't know. I know I own a lot of banks, so you know if inflation goes up, uh, I'm hedged. Folks, uh, anyway. we're even that we're going to have to do a truncated show because we're coming up on. Uh, I'm running a little bit overtime here. Um, if you've got any First questions of all, on on random stocks, I'm, I've seen a couple of these things. Uh, you know, we're happy to talk about little stocks. I tend to cover. You know, like most of my day is TMT and like travel, like airlines and stuff, uh, and the the supply chain. I'm not opposed to it. If you guys want me to look at small stocks, send in. You know, I, I'm down to look. I just don't like flip through it all the time. You know, there was a good comment from Low Tide Investments about technological. So that's that's the head on. So technological improvements are deflationary because we get better at doing things more efficiently. Um, fewer people are required to get something done. You know, it's it was difficult to make stuff 200 years ago. Now it's pretty easy to communicate and. The telegraph was invented in 1844. I learned that a few weeks ago. So before then, information traveled as fast as the ship that you were on, which for the most part was sail. And all of a sudden, information could get there sooner. So that's been magnified and accelerated. I don't see why you have to print to correct that, though. Why can't we just enjoy that? Why do we have to inflate away all of those? (laughs) Why why don't don't get it? Like, why why does that have to happen? Yeah, I would agree with that. Why wouldn't... Now you throw your pennies in the garbage because they're a nuisance, but like they should be buying all kinds of treasures. Buy it. Well, and at least then if boomers can't make anything on their retirement accounts, at least like the the account buys more every year. Because right now it seems to me that uh, if you're looking at retirement, you have got a quite a predicament on your hands. True. <laughs> um. Throw your questions in, folks. Uh, happy to chat about uh, anything, really. Oh, it, it looks like it's Phantom 3434. There we go. Uh, somebody, yeah. Follow that account. That that person did, like, some breakdown of the oil sector that was crazy. And sometimes you just see stuff and you're like, all right, I am definitely not the smart money here. What's energy? That it's was- like 4% of the index. Why would you bother? <laughs> No, he did it. He or she, I think it's a he, but that, that was a while ago uh, when it was a much harder thing to call. Um, that's an prices. account worth following. I think that's a good peek into somebody's brain. 
So, folks, uh, I think I, I'm going to—I'm running out of time here, so I, I, we're going to have to bounce. But uh, I'm going to pass out. I'm so hot. <laughs> we'll, we'll be back next week, hopefully without all of the uh, all of the technical difficulties. Uh, so sorry about that. Um, I'm I'm going to say goodbye. You guys want to say goodbye? Have a Bye, good everybody. one. I'll work See on my week. camera. Sorry. Thanks, folks. See you then. Bye. <laughs> Shake it up, stop when the clock gets 13 Sing